As we mentioned at the top of the show, University of California at Davis is the only UC campus that has its own airport. It's an interesting facility. Let's go out there now and talk to the good people at the Cal Aggie Flying Farmers. We have on the line the chief pilot, Charles Lowe. Welcome to the program, Mr. Lowe. Thank you very much. Now, you guys have been in continuous operation, I guess, since 1947? That's correct. And my understanding here is that... um, it's quite an interesting history that Mr. Harold Hopkins, who was, I guess, an MIT engineer, a man with a lot of, uh, of uh, farming interests in Southern and Northern California, got the idea that it might be a great idea to put an airport out here uh, next to the university. Yeah, I did this on his, uh, his land, and then later on the university acquired the airport uh, from him. That's correct. And uh, uh, John Patterson, I guess, was a pilot. He went on to found what's uh, the Patterson Aviation, which is currently over, I guess, at Sacramento Executive Airport to this day. Mr. Patterson taught uh, Mr. Hopkins at the age of 57 how to fly. Yeah, I think Patterson also has Patterson travel. I think he's retired now and moved to Fresno, but he's been in the aviation business around here for you know over 50 years. Yeah. Now, uh, you, in preparation for this show, you gave me a... a a fabulous little article from a magazine called Air Facts, the magazine for pilots, and it's uh, it's dated um, August 1st, 1949, has quite a lovely article about what at that time was really a state-of-the-art um, airport. I guess it won the award at the time for the finest uh, the finest um, small airport in the United States. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, And we think it's still a pretty fine airport, too. Well, that, no argument. It's, it's, a, it's a darn fine airport got a picture that you, that you provided with me showing uh, what it looked like back in 1947. And I can see, looking at it, I can still see the present airport in, in uh, that old configuration. I think the only uh, problem back then, people said it's so far out in the country, nobody will drive that far to go fly. But <laughs> times do change. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Cal Aggie Flying Farmers and what, what, what's, what's offered out there. I guess you guys offer flight instruction and aircraft rental to students and faculty and the general public. That's correct. The corporation was founded in 1947 as a, a non-profit corporation just to foster uh, aviation and, and support aviation in the general Sacramento area. And we're still operating under that same uh, charter. And we're open to the public, uh, students, faculty, and um, still a non-profit corporation. So it doesn't mean you can't make money, but it means the money goes back into the airplane. So we try to new paint, new interior, buy new airplanes when we need them upgrade the radios, and uh, spend the money to support the members and the aircraft themselves. Now, uh, when I was a student uh, back in the 1970s, I remember hearing about, uh, about the operation out there, and I did start to take some, some lessons. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily a good example of how to go A to B in becoming a pilot since my lessons in 1977 didn't translate into a license until 22 years later, but I think out of that... Uh, we could point out to students that, you know, you could, you could actually, at, at the university, start out to get some lessons, and, and you will eventually become a pilot if you persist. You know, we tell people if you, if you stick with it and you, and you start, if you try to start in December with the fog, it doesn't work. But yeah. normally it takes about six months for the average person, and you're going to take somewhere between uh, 50 and uh, 65 hours of training. About half of that is with an instructor and half by yourself. 
in talking to uh, to students today, I don't know whether it's, I don't know why, but they, they don't seem that aware of the fact that they've got this wonderful facility located right next to the campus, and this is an opportunity to learn how to be a pilot, which is something I think a lot of people aspire to. Yeah, I think uh, some people do it just because they want to do it and, and stop just as a private, and others maybe uh, have uh, other aspirations down the road of doing commercial flying. So, But you got to start somewhere, so the first step is to get your private pilot's license. Yeah, and I gather there's been quite a few people that went on to become professional pilots that got their start right uh, right here in Davis. Oh, we've had a lot of people that uh, started out uh, with their private, and now they're airline pilots, military pilots. Even though we, they weren't a member, we even had the, uh, I can't recall the fellow's name now, but uh, used to pump gas here at the ga- at the airport and uh-huh. got his, uh, he's a, a space shuttle astronaut. Quite a few famous people have um, come through these doors out here. Wow, I did not know that had uh, former President Carter, I think Prince uh, Charles from England, Cal Worthington and his dog Spot, <laughs> Clint Eastwood, <laughs> quite a few people. Uh, the, obviously, Mondavi has come in quite often when he was working on the Mondavi Center. Yeah. So I even had the honor of, um, I've forgotten when it was several years ago, when they did a uh, firing line program on public television talking about education in California, and they had William F. Buckley and Milton Friedman. And then I took them in one of our airplanes, and I flew Milton Friedman, William F. Buckley, <clears throat> up to Milton Friedman's house at Sea Ranch, and then took William F. Buckley down to San Francisco to catch a flight back to New York. Uh-huh. So um, Cal Aggies gets involved, uh, even in the famous people in the university also. You were certainly flying around with two of the, the, the bastions of, uh, of, of conservative thought in this country. <laughs> Well, maybe I'm not sure when I say listen, listen to them during the forum, but they were there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty nice guys? They were. I was just amazed how uh, polite. And uh, William F. Buckley sounded just like William F. Buckley. <laughs> and he kept, he kept saying, he's a glider pilot, actually. And we were talking. Really? He would fly, uh, he, was, he would go down to South America and soar in the Andes which is pretty amazing, and he kept calling me Skipper. I don't know what that meant. Maybe he thought he was on a boat or something. I don't know, but very nice man. And so was Milton Friedman, just as, just real gentleman. You know, you'd just be amazed how many people do business with the university. Sure. Uh, people bring, come in to go to the vet school to see about their racehorses. People fly their dogs in, you know, critically ill dogs, so the uh, vet school can work on them. It's just it's amazing how much it ties into the community and the university. One thing that students, because this is, after all, a, a KDVS is a university-affiliated um, radio station, and we do have a lot of students listening. We should point out that, uh, you know, people think of ground school as something that might be very time-consuming, but in fact, you don't have to attend a formal ground school to get a pilot's license. No, there, there are three phases um, to getting your license, and, you, and they're all nationally standardized. One is you have to take a standardized national written test, and then the other is you have to take an oral exam, and then you have to take a practical test where you fly the airplane and make sure you can do the maneuvers and navigate and land the airplane. To take the written test, you don't have to physically go to a class as in your student uh, Chem uh, 1A or something. You can do home study when you when you are studying with your instructor to take your uh, practical test. You cover all the material. You just do it over a longer period of time and then you can take your written test after you've completed that training. Or you can do CD studies, videotapes, internet, there's all kind of different ways to, to acquire that knowledge. Yeah, there's so many programs out these days that can help somebody through. It's, uh, and, I, and, and I'm proof positive, I never attended ground school myself. You do have to have the knowledge that's required because of the test, but you don't physically have to go to a, a sit-down class if you don't want to. It's really easy to do it just in your dorm.
you actually have the, the capacity to learn how to fly uh, with instruments. What a private pilot does, it will let, once you get your license, it will let you uh, carry passengers and fly uh, an airplane as long as the weather's nice. But we also have the capability when the weather gets bad, we have clouds or fog, you can uh, fly little airplanes in the clouds and fog once you get the training to do that. And that's called an instrument rating, and that's just added on to your private pilot's license. And with all the modern navigation, we have satellite navigation in the airplane, so you can do satellite uh, navigation in the clouds to an airport and land. It's, it's pretty spectacular. We, we also have the capability of, um, at larger airports, say Sacramento, of landing almost to the same visibility requirements as the airliners. Not quite as low, but uh -huh. you can land with a half a mile visibility um, and a little airplane. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you were telling me even about some of the new GPS equipment. Uh, you can actually use satellites to tell the, the aircraft's ground speed, which I think is amazing. Yeah, for instance, in, in the old days when you're flying along, you know, just like in a car, you may not exactly know on Interstate 80 what town you're near. Well, the GPS, for instance, if you want to know the nearest airport, you just punch a button, and it will tell you the nearest airport, how far away it is, what the distance is, how long the runway is, what the radio frequencies are as you're flying along. So if you had to go in for lunch or have an emergency, you could use that, and, and you could find the nearest airport instantaneously without even having to look at a map. It's quite amazing. It is fantastic. On the other hand, I do want to put a plug in for good old-fashioned uh, seat-of-the-pants flying. <laughs> I know... When I was up in Northern California, the, the Modoc airport, a guy flying by GPS batteries went dead. <laughs> he looked around and landed the plane and said, where am I? Well, one thing I do want to emphasize, even though we have this equipment in here, for student pilots, we actually don't let them use it. Right. Because what they have to learn is how to get a map, how to draw a course, how to look out the window and see where you are and navigate. And once you get your license, then we will teach you how to use the uh, GPS and other navigation aids but you have to know how to do it in case what well, the satellites don't work, the GPS doesn't work, you can't just give up. You've got to still be able to fly the airplane. Yeah. So the basic stuff is, is what you're taught, and then the GPS training is an add-on afterwards. I have not yet added that on myself, even though I feel good about getting a map out and flying around the countryside. A lot of people are scared of flying in a small airplane. Uh, you probably should comment a bit on, on, on the dangers of, of you know small aircraft flying. First of all, what most people are scared of when they fly is they can see so much. When you're in an airliner, you've got a little porthole you look out, and you don't really have a concept that you're in a plane. Yeah. When you're in a little airplane, you've got windows all around, and you actually realize you're up in the air. So once people get over that, that helps. Um, the good news is most of these airplanes that, that we own, you can land them and, and stop them in four or 500 feet, even if, uh, heaven forbid, an engine failure. If you're in you know, flat ground, it's, it's uh, not as dangerous as you would think it is. To me, it's a lot scarier driving at night on a two-lane road where some car would cross over and uh, hit you head on and you have no reaction time. Sure. You don't need, in an airplane, you don't have those uh, split-second decisions. It's not the Hollywood type. It's actually uh, much easier to um, react in an airplane than it is a car. I've heard this, and maybe you can verify whether this sounds like it's true to you. I, I've heard that um, in, in all the crashes that take place, and let's face it, airplanes do occasionally... Um, come to a bad end, but in, in fully half those cases, it's because the pilot ran out of gas. You're actually right. Sometimes they even have gas in the airplane, but they didn't select the tank that had the fuel in it. They ran one tank empty and had the other tank full, right. and it's just uh, not paying attention. Yeah, most accidents probably start on the ground. Most accidents are, are weather-related or fuel-related, so if you, you, know, you don't want to get pressured 
to go somewhere in an airplane that you shouldn't go because the weather's getting bad. Right. What we tell people, if you absolutely have to be somewhere, you shouldn't take a little airplane. Go buy an airline ticket or drive. Sure. You know, if, if you're not, if you're flexible and um, if you have to delay a, a, a day for weather, it's a great way to do it and, and it, it's quicker. University Airport, it doesn't have a tower. Some people might kind of feel bad about that. I think it's a huge asset to not have to deal with uh, someone directing your traffic. There's two kinds of airports. Uncontrolled, which is not as bad as it sounds. It just means there's no tower. So pilots have to have to look for themselves. Yeah. And they, you announce on the radio and you sequence your own, mm-hmm. each airplane for landing, where a tower will say you're number one, you're number two, you stop, you taxi. And uh, busier airports that, that have hundreds of flights need that when you're a small airport like Davis uh, it's uncontrolled and there is no tower. And I've flown out of out of executive and, uh, and out of university and I can just tell you I just think you know it, it is such a pleasure to leave a small non-towered airport and just talk to other pilots that are in the air who may or may or may not be in the air rather than have to be dependent upon what's what's a large volume of traffic coming at you lots of different ways. Good thing about uncontrolled airports the pilot learns to make decisions they're not told what to do so you have to think for themselves and then where at the tower airport, you get really good at talking on the radios, but sometimes your decision-making gets lax mm-hmm. because you're always told what to do, so you don't have to think. Both have their advantages and disadvantages. You can save a little bit of money at uncontrolled airports because they're not as busy. Uh, the way the rates work, when the engine's running, you're paying for the airplane. And if you're at a busy airport and there's seven people to take off ahead of you, and you're sitting there with the engine running, it's costing you money. So uncontrolled airports can save you a little bit of money on your flight training. Now, uh, let's say we've got someone here that's just coming to UCD uh, and doesn't know much about this and is thinking, geez, being a pilot might be a really fun thing. How, how much money would we be talking about by the time it was all said and done? Uh, we tell people somewhere around uh, 4500 to $5,500, depending on how the time of year you start, how fast you go through it to get your private pilot's license. And that's based on flying in a Cessna 152. That's a two-seat trainer and average uh, progression through the course. I don't recommend someone taking 22 years to get the license, but I I would point out you don't have to do that in six months. You can spread out the costs over a year, year and a half, two years, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and also, if you're a UCD student, it's not a uh, class-type environment. You you schedule the flying when you want to fly it. In other words, you don't take Private Pilot 101 Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 10. You decide when you want to take it, and then you work it in in that direction. Well, Charles Lowe, Chief Pilot out at uh, University Airport, thanks so much for coming on. Nice talking with you. All righty. When I was out at uh, University Airport last week, uh, Charles Lowe uh, was kind enough to give me some materials preparatory to um, his coming on the show. And uh, I'd like to excerpt a little bit of this because there's very interesting history here uh, related to our airport facility. Article out of UC Davis Magazine uh, back in 1988, I think I'll quote from here. In 1945, when C. Harold Hopkins, an engineer from Balboa, California, decided to build an airstrip on his Davis ranch, little did he know it would one day be used by a former president and a prince. An enthusiastic airplane and flying buff, Hopkins decided he wanted to build an airport for the Davis community. He consulted with a young U.S. Marine pilot, Captain John C. Patterson, then stationed at El Toro Marine Corps Air Base, not far from Balboa in Southern California. And together in 1946, they selected a site and formed Straylock Flyers, Inc., a company to manage airport operations, instruct pilots, and rent airplanes. 
Now, I think uh, Balboa is, is as in Balboa Island, which is today part of Newport Beach um, in Southern California. It's interesting that uh, Mr. Hopkins was an MIT engineer who had quite a lot of farming interests, and they got the idea that uh, an airport up near um, Davis and the Agricultural College would be a good thing. Again, UC Davis Magazine. Hopkins and Patterson were so excited about building the airport, they decided they couldn't wait for an engineer and a construction crew. Instead, the two of them used a farm tractor to remove a few trees and level off an area for the airstrip. Before moving his belongings to Davis, Patterson briefly returned to Southern California. While there, he bought his first airplane, which he flew back to Davis a few months later. It had been raining for nine previous days, but the untested runway appeared to be dry. The surface was dry, but the foundation of the hastily graded runway was saturated, and the airplane sank through and landed straight up on its nose, as Patterson recalls. The next day, a photo appeared in the Davis Enterprise with a caption that read, Captain Patterson has arrived to manage the new airport. Well, in spite of that inauspicious start, operations commenced soon afterwards, and um, uh, Mr. Patterson, who I, you know, Mr. I tried to reach Mr. Patterson in conjunction with this interview, and uh, Patterson Aviation uh, couldn't quite put their finger on him. But uh, he is alive, I presume, and well, and they're going to try and do that. Perhaps in the future we'll be able to get a few words from the man who uh, helped start it all back in 1946. According to Patterson, Hopkins was an extremely far-sighted man. He saw the use that farmers could make here of agricultural facilities on the UCD campus. Now, another great article that, uh, that Charles Lowe kindly supplied me was from Air Facts Magazine, the magazine for pilots dated August 1st, 1949, a long article about what was then the brand new University Airport at Davis, California. And uh, I'm fascinated to read that uh, Hopkins, with his engineering background and, 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 and farming interests, decided that uh, aviation had great application for agriculture. And uh, first of all, he decided that, you know, the fact that he lived in Southern California and needed to commute up here to, to Northern California, well, to do that, an airplane was a wonderful tool, something I think we take for granted uh, living in an era where you go over to Sacramento uh, Metro Airport, buy a ticket, and jet off to Southern California, uh, like I did um, this week. But uh, back then in the 40s, this was basically a train ride, I think, or a long drive in a car. Uh, there were commercial aircraft at that time, but it certainly wasn't like today. The article notes, the University College of Agriculture is staffed with scientists. With the University Airport adjacent to the campus, both the farmers who learned to fly and the scientists of the college laboratories who welcomed the chance for greater use of their product were attracted by the possibility of using the airplane as a tool for agriculture. There was the task of seeding barley. Now, it never occurred to me that right here at UCD, in conjunction with University Airport, someone got the idea that perhaps we could go up in an airplane and sow seeds. Now, you, you've undoubtedly been driving around Northern California and seen aircraft going by and, and seeds coming out of them. Well, pioneered apparently right here. And it appears that crop dusting, an effort to put down, uh, you know, basically chemical agents on the fields was something else that uh, goes back to our um, small but illustrious uh, university airport. All right, let's take a, a short break. You are listening to KDVS 90.3 FM. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is Radio Parallax.